welcome back to our second episode of Open Disclosure. Today's topic, we're talking about drones. Drones have been a big topic for years now. Ever since they started becoming really easy and cheap to get a hold of, they've become more and more prominent in everyday society with news articles revolving around uh, drone incursions in airports, in wildfire fighting, and all sorts of mishaps. Although, there are some good sides to having drones though, and we're going to go over both in this episode. But before we get to that, let's go over some of the basics of drones. So, drones originally were used in military applications, and their main purpose was surveillance and reconnaissance in, uh, in areas of uh, operation. So, basically, if you ever needed to see what your enemy was doing, or ever wanted to know uh, how far away they were, or basically whatever was going on, supply routes, that kind of stuff you would probably use and deploy a drone as necessary just to see what they're up to. As drones became less and less expensive to create and the technology became more easy to access for consumers, more and more applications started to surface, and that's where we are today. Today there's many applications for drones, and there are many advocates and many people that don't like them, but I mean, there are good and there are bad uses for these drones. That being said, though, there is a difference in perception for some people where they think that drones are good in some sense and other people where people think drones are bad in another sense. And it's kind of funny because if you think about it, the people that are usually pro drones are those that will typically use them regularly. Those that are against it are ones that don't directly deal with them and they just become a nuisance, which is understandable to some degree because if you are not directly involved in them, they can be very uh, irritating, so to speak. Especially if they're not quiet, they make noise, they draw, they fly over your backyard or in front of your house, whatever the case may be. And especially for small consumer drones and ones that are now being used in uh, commercial applications like for drone delivery. Which brings us on to the first topic of one of the business applications that is very controversial at best uh, when it comes to drones. And that is drone delivery. Many companies like Google and Amazon have been experimenting with doing drone deliveries and how that would work. And uh, one of those examples is actually they've been doing testing in Australia for a company called Wing that is owned uh, by Alphabet, which is uh, Google's owner as well. And they've been testing delivery of food and random like consumable items to people's homes. And <laughs> as an article from the Wall Street Journal points out that the customers seem to be happy uh, the neighbors are unhappy, and apparently it can also irritate your pets. But aside from that, the drone delivery itself is actually a really cool uh, method of getting things to your house really fast. There is an example of an Australian lady who ordered off of this system and was able to get a, a little container of sunscreen for her kids within seven minutes from the time she set the order and to the time the drone arrived on her front porch. Like, that's pretty crazy. I think most people here are happy that they have Amazon two-day shipping with you have Prime, but, I mean, that's crazy. Seven-minute shipping? I mean, most people are, are happy to have that. And the reason why these tests were carried out in Australia and not uh, places like the U.S. and Canada, which has been a thing of debate for the past few years, is because the U.S. and Canadian regulations are usually pretty restrictive when it comes to drones, especially in the sense of commercial drone delivery. Uh, both air authorities seem to be uneasy about having these kind of deliveries and they're not really willing to let people uh, openly fly commercial drones just for that purpose. And they cite many reasons like 
noise, uh, interference, you know, privacy, all those kinds of uh, regular complaints that you would have with drones. But aside from their actual application in business, in a commercial sense for delivery, there's also many other applications that may or may not be uh, heard of or talked about very often. Um, in particular, drones are used for uh, disaster management, which can be hugely beneficial. They use them to actually find people if there's, uh, say, there's been a hurricane or a tsunami. It's actually easier for them to get, uh, again, to smaller places that large aircraft can't reach. And they can also carry high-tech sensors and equipment that can detect people that may be trapped under rubble or in areas, again, that are not easy to see or not easy to reach. Along those lines, too, with disaster management, they also use them in some cases for search and rescue and for health, which is also a really cool capability. There's also talk about having drones fitted to drop medical supplies, drop food, and that kind of stuff for really uh, severe situations. Obviously, it's not going to be your typical like residential drone with like, you know, five pound capacity. There's actually a really interesting news article I found about the RCMP in Saskatoon that had received calls of a rollover vehicle somewhere in the countryside. And uh, it, from the sounds of it, it looks like that person was actually ejected from the vehicle and ended up in quite some ways away from the vehicle or may have stumbled out into the forest from the vehicle. They had many different flyovers with the air ambulance and could not find the person. They did a ground search for 200 meter radius and for some reason this person couldn't be found. They eventually ended up sending a drone out to the area to see what was going on and uh, see if they could try and find the person with the drone because it was equipped with an infrared sensor. When they were getting ready to dispatch this drone, they received a call from the person that had been uh, ejected from the vehicle and they were able to get some sort of uh, GPS lock on him, uh, get like a general idea of where he was. And uh, the drone moved to those coordinates and they were actually able to find the person hidden in the trees uh, with that drone. So there are some pretty cool uses for drone technology, especially when it comes to disaster management and uh, search and rescue capabilities. And uh, aside from, from the negative media that they've been getting a lot, there's been a lot of incidences lately of the airports being shut down in London uh, because of drone sightings. Um, many countries are now moving to change regulations and bring more laws into place to uh, to restrict the kind of activity drones can and cannot do around airports and just generally. There's also some other cool areas for drone technology. We can even do mapping, geo-mapping, which allows you to create 3D maps in places that you can't normally reach, like uh, coastlines, mountaintops, those kinds of areas. There's also a Awesome use for them in construction where you can actually watch buildings and watch buildings as they're being built and render 3D models to check the progress of those buildings. They also use them in cases of checking for structural damage and on power lines, pipelines, transmission towers, all sorts of crazy stuff. Because of the type of sensors that can be attached to them, they can also check the metal strain on these buildings, which is a pretty interesting feat. Normally you would have to send somebody up to these structures and, you know, it's dangerous, super expensive, all those things. And that can all be mitigated with the use of drone technology. And another, our, one of our, our last uses for, at least for like a commercial kind of aspect is agriculture. Agriculture can actually monitor crops for keeping them managed and watching their yields. They can place sensors on the drones to actually detect nitrogen levels in the soil if there's too much nitrogen in the soil, it can actually affect the water table, so it can contaminate the water table with nitrates. And if there's too little of the nitrogen in the soil, 
then the crops may not grow as they should. It can also detect irrigation issues and monitor droughts, all sorts of crazy things like that with the, within the agricultural field. So as you can see, there's, there's many different uses for drones and they could be viewed as positive, but there's also a lot of uh, negative to it too. People that uh, people and companies that do use these drones, obviously they save money, but they also displace jobs at the same time that's in, in some cases. There's no need to send guys or girls up into, you know, the, the electrical towers to check on the structure unless there's something actually wrong. But that being said, though, there's not necessarily a, a deduction of manpower. It's actually just saving time for people because you still need people that are able to, to maintain those facilities. They're able to actually go and repair those things. And as far as I'm concerned, drones aren't able to do that yet. So for now, they're great. They're an extra tool. It's like having a hammer in your toolbox, except for more complex issues. For personal applications, there's a lot of obvious personal applications, you know, hobbyists, photography, videography, which I suppose can also be used in a commercial context. But typically speaking, for personal applications, those are the main uses. All right, curation for stunts, competitions, all sorts of things. Now, here comes the interesting part for drones is military and government use. Most people, when they think of drones or uh, or unmanned aerial vehicles, they might think, you know, uh, a drone that's armed to the teeth with weapons. That's not always the case, especially not in government applications. There's many other uses for them too, like wildlife monitoring. Natural resources departments actually use the drones to monitor movements of wildlife and also see and prevent poachers in certain areas. There's also a use for them in law enforcement. They can surveil crowds that are in need of surveillance or at major events, for example like uh, concerts, parades, those kinds of things. And they can investigate fires and crime scenes with the use of or help of drones as well. There's also use for border control where they can monitor the crossings where there may not be any physical barriers or border crossing uh, stations. They can also track smugglers and migrants that are moving in and out of the country. Again, there's, uh, there's good to this and there's bad to this. The good to this is that it makes people safer if it's used correctly. The bad news is that, you know, a lot of people find that it could be an infringement on privacy because of the fact that it can, a drone can technically see anything at any time in any place that they're available. Then with the declining interest in government oversight and declining interest in just government involvement in general, it can be seen as a negative to a lot of people. But that being said, though, with drones, it is important to note that whoever's using it and the type of use they're using makes a big difference on if it's actually for good or if it's being used in a way that can harm others. That's not to say, you know, that uh, individuals can't do the same things too. Individuals and governments alike are just as prone to uh, misuse as anybody. It's important, though, to note that there is always a level of risk. No matter what we use or don't use, there's always going to be some level of risk. And moving on to military applications, like we went over a little bit of the government, uh, there's law enforcement, wildlife protection, all sorts of those things. But then we move on to military applications. In the military, the preferred term is actually unmanned aerial vehicle, just because drones are very generic in term and unmanned aerial vehicles are more specific to the types of aircraft that they use. There's actually multiple classes of military drones. There's classes one through three. And it's all dependent on the actual weight category of the drone. And all military drones have different purposes. They can be multi-role, multi-purpose, sort of like our fighter jets. But they also can have very specific roles as well. 
They can use them for surveillance, obviously, reconnaissance. They can also be used as decoys in case there is a need to, uh, you know, throw off an enemy. Maybe they need to get to one point, but they need to make the enemy focused on another point. So they can be used as decoys. There's also the use for target acquisition and also combat, obviously. There are drones out there that are equipped for warfare and they will target or they will take target information and hit targets. It's important to note that there's a lot of controversy around this as well. Some people would argue that having a drone as opposed to a person in an aircraft could be different uh, when it comes to combat and you lose that uh, sense of humanity, I guess. And that does have some ground, but as far as drone operations go, there's always a human operator present and they always have the opportunity to cancel a mission or to uh, bring up any concerns before getting to target. There's also a use for drones that uh, for R&D, so research and development. Basically, they just use these drones just to uh, enhance existing drone capabilities or come up with new drone capabilities. They're basically like toy drones that they just use to research new stuff. So that pretty much covers the, the military side of things. And the reason why I brought this topic up this week is because there's been a lot of incidences lately with uh, drones in particular, especially around airports. I don't know if you guys have seen in the news recently, but there were two incidences recently at two different airports in London, one at uh, London Heathrow and one at Gatwick, where they had to cancel flights for extended periods of time because of drone sightings. And although it seems a little strange to have to cancel flights for drones, the issue is that these drones, because they are above a certain size, but small enough to go undetected unless seen visually, they can cause some catastrophic damage. There's also concern that there are drones that are purposely weaponized and used to target these aircraft. And there's no way of really telling if a drone is weaponized before it causes damage. Um, now, some of you might be thinking like there's got to be ways to actually prevent this and there are. And that's why there's a lot of countries right now that are moving quickly to get these drone defense systems in place to either mitigate an issue or to completely remove the issue altogether. There was also an issue uh, recently in Canada with the BC wildfires that there was actually a drone flying near the forest fires that actually stopped forest fighting operations from the air for a good period of time. As you can see, these issues with drones can become pretty serious when you're involving thousands of people. Um, there's always this issue that if a drone is in the air when there are emergency operations underway, you're not sure of what that intent is for that drone if it's there because somebody just is out to try and take photos of the fire, if they just want to take photos of the airport, if they just want to, you know, get a closer look at a plane or get a closer look at what's going on with the fires, and someone that actually has ill intent, like, well, I want to ram this drone into an aircraft. Although extreme as it may sound, it's not impossible, and at the same time, not everyone is as innocent as people would hope they would be. So what are countries doing to keep this in check? Well, a lot of countries now have been looking to new regulations and Canada is included in that list of countries. Recently, Transport Canada released new drone laws that require drone operators to actually have uh, physical pilot licenses uh, for most types of drones. These rules come into effect on June 1st of this year and there are a couple things that haven't changed, um, considering in Canada you're considered a pilot when you're operating a drone. That's kind of been the norm in Canada for a while. There were licenses that you were required to have before, but the rules have changed slightly. 
there's the obvious rule that you have to abide by laws that are outside of specifically the drone regulations like air and maritime safety and criminal code violations and all those kind of things. Basically, you can't go and cause terrorist acts and say, oh, well, it wasn't in the drone book. For Canada's new rules, everyone that flies a drone is required to have a pilot certificate and to register and mark those drones. There are two types of operations in Canada that are categorized. One is basic, one is advanced. For basic, you have to be flying in uncontrolled airspace and you need to be more than 30 meters away from bystanders and never fly over them and must meet all three rules at the same time. If you don't follow, if you can't follow those rules, then you bump into the next category of advanced operations. And advanced operations means you can fly in controlled airspace, fly over bystanders, and you're able to fly within 30 meters of bystanders. For an advanced uh, certificate, you need to register your drone, marked drone, same as your basic, and pass an exam. And the addition to the basic one is that instead of just passing an exam and getting the certificate for your basic operations, you also need to pass a flight review from a certified reviewer. When you're operating a drone, you need to show proof of certificate and registration when flying, and all these rules apply to drones that are between the weights of 250 grams and 25 kilograms. Now that's a huge range, which has also stirred up some controversy as well, because now this takes a huge range of drones that could be from, you know, your very small little recreational drone at home to somebody actually using a commercial drone. And so the issues there have been that, well, the same stringent rules are applying to people that just want to fly these for fun at home as those that actually use these for commercial purposes. Now, there are also other rules for drones that fit outside of these categories. If you are flying anything over 25 kilograms, you are required to go and get Transport Canada approval before flying. Anything that's under that 250 gram limit has to be flown away from aircraft and airports and does not need to be registered or anything along those lines, but basically don't fly it into places you shouldn't be flying them. The other rules that apply to all operators is that drones need to be visible at all times and they must fly below 122 meters. The obvious other rules are that you have to stay away from emergency operations, away from bystanders. Of course, if you're in that advanced category and you are able to fly near bystanders, that's a different story. But generally, no flying near bystanders, no flying near emergency operations and advertised events. So basically things like forest fires, concerts, parades, all those kind of things. The rules surrounding airports are also still in effect. I believe the distances may have changed. It's 5.6 kilometers away from airports and 1.9 kilometers away from heliports and not being able to fly around other aircraft or other drones. And another thing that they've added, or at least adjusted, are the fines and the penalties. And they've become pretty steep for those that operate without the right licenses and registrations and all that. For personal use, there's fines between $1,000 and $3,000 for breaking any of the rules and endangering uh, aircraft and people. $3,000 is the highest one for endangering aircraft and people. If you break multiple rules, like you're flying without a license and you endanger people, etc., etc., those charges can actually be stacked individually. So that makes the maximum for personal use drone operator to get charged is $5,000. On the corporate side, fines are much higher as well. Their fines start from $5,000 and go on to $15,000 per rule breakage. And same as the other ones, you can stack them on so they can add up, but with a maximum charge amount of $25,000. 
That being said, if you don't uh, follow these rules, it's not just the fines that you get hit with. You also have the possibility of being indicted and sent to jail, depending on the, the severity of the crime. So we see that there's all of this, there's been this issue of, well, how come there's incursions around airports? Why are there drones flying near airports? And why aren't airports doing anything about it? And why is it so hard or seemingly hard for people to find drones and drone operators and stop them from what they're doing when they're not supposed to be doing it? So the biggest issue with drones in general is that when it comes to aircraft radars for airports and stuff like that, your standard radar usually won't pick up a drone. And if it picks up a drone, it's going to look probably like a like a bird if it's large enough. And the reason for that is because drones are smaller than a typical aircraft. And so the cross section that the radar hits on the uh, drone is too small to recognize. There's also the added disadvantage that there's low electromagnetic signatures from a drone as opposed to an aircraft. So it's hard to distinguish between bird or plane. So there are other options available counter drone systems that are coming onto the market. The problem with these solutions is that they're still new and they're undergoing changes regularly to the systems and what they're able to do and what they can do in the future. But that's not the main issue with these systems. One of the biggest issues with getting these systems into place is that airports are very bureaucratic. It's very hard to get certain things into place and it's hard to get different uh, groups of people to work together to actually implement these systems. Unfortunately, the way airports have operated in the past is they've been known as a quote-unquote gravestone or tombstone industry where something bad has to happen before anything changes. So the biggest issue, the biggest hurdle here is to actually become proactive in this case as opposed to reactive. Recently, the UK announced that they uh, have given law enforcement the ability and the authority to land, seize, and search drones as necessary and as required in cases of interferences with airports or any other events that are deemed a public safety hazard. So now that we know that there are actual solutions to help with drone detection and drone interception, um, it's interesting to know what specifically is different from the current systems that allow us to see drones on these new systems. And the biggest advantage of these new systems is that they use something that is called high definition radar, which is actually able to see much, much smaller objects and is able to distinguish between a bird and aircraft much more easily based on certain other characteristics. There's also the use of other technologies aside from high definition radar that range from infrared to thermal sensors, but those are the main three. They have the high definition radar, there's thermal, and then there is also infrared that can help as well. So putting that all together, it's just a matter of working through the bureaucracy to actually put these services into place and to put these systems into place to actually be able to prevent any serious issues in the future. So what is the biggest issue when it comes to the airport? Aside from the fact that it's a big, slow bureaucracy, there's concerns about who has authority and in what scope to deal with these instances. When it comes to monitoring and intervening, they need to decide who, who detects these drones, who can manage and intervene the drones, like what level of police force will they be using. In Canada in particular, is it the local police force, is it the provincial police force, is it the federal police force? Does there need to be a separate unit that does it? All sorts of things like that. On military establishments, in particular in the U.S., they have the authority to completely disable or destroy drones that are entering into their airspace. 
which makes sense. You're going to protect your military assets. So if somebody kind of wanders too close to your military assets, they have the ability to completely remove and disable that threat. As I mentioned before, the UK has now also introduced those laws to allow uh, police to intercept the drones and land them, seize them, search them, and all those things. The only downside with that is that it took an event like the Gatwick Airport closure for them to go ahead and do that, which means that there were many people affected and lots of income lost just because we haven't been on the ball with being proactive instead of reactive when it comes to certain issues like this. Uh, part of that is because technology has moved so fast in recent years that it's been hard for older organizations to actually keep pace because once there's an infrastructure in place, it's very hard to adjust that infrastructure to allow for new changes. Now, that being said, though, it's not an excuse to just not adapt. We need to learn to adapt all the time, regularly, and be ready for the next newest thing. So that leads us to the topic of our little discussion here today. The drones, are they good or are they bad? Well, the bottom line is they're neither good nor bad. It really depends on who is using it and for what purposes. Obviously, those that use drones for good can actually be a benefit to society and to the economy as a whole. But those that use it in a negative way can cause all sorts of chaos and they can also incur economic losses, as we've seen with the airports. At the end of the day, it's important to know who's using the equipment and why and what their intent is when it comes to flying drones. Drones in general can be very useful to both the public, to private individuals, to companies, to governments, and pretty much anybody that's affected by drone usage. I personally am really excited to see what they do with drones in the future because there's so many different possibilities for the future for drones that can actually end up saving people's lives, saving time, saving money, and doing a whole lot of good. On the other hand, of course, there's always the possibility of the opposite happening when the wrong people use it for the wrong reasons. Basically, it's up to you to decide if you think they're good or if you think they're bad, but it all boils down to it can be good and it can be bad. So that's all I have to say for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it and join us again next week for our next episode. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Thank you.